all, thanks for joining us on the Cream of the Crop podcast dedicated to agriculture. We talk to top leaders, share top ideas, and discuss top trends and products. We get to the heart of ag and put the issues on the table. Welcome to the Cream of the Crop podcast. Today we have the farm babe, Michelle Miller, on the line. Hello, Michelle. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. And yourself? I'm just living the dream. That's my famous line. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, I think that quite a few of our listeners will probably recognize who you are just with the farm babe and how um, how much advocating you've done. I know that I got to meet you at uh, Florida Young Farmers and Ranchers Conference and hear you speak which obviously is the reason that I wanted to do a podcast with you because I was so inspired by your story. So I really wanted our listeners to hear it as well. Um, with that being said, tell us how the farm babe got started. Yeah. So the farm babe is a social media platform where I work to bridge the gap between consumers and farmers. I started it in 2014 as a way to start kind of talking about what we were doing on the farm. So I actually had more of a big city girl background, even though I grew up around agriculture, like I was in 4-H and my friends were farm kids and stuff. Um, I became pretty disconnected because I moved to Los Angeles. And so living in LA and Chicago for all my 20s, um, I really fell victim to a lot of misinformation surrounding food, whether it was GMOs or pesticides, hormones and antibiotics, factory farming, you know, all that stuff. And, um, and then when I started dating a farmer, I moved to rural Iowa and that's really kind of where it all started because I was like, wait a minute, um, I'm really misinformed. Like, (laughs) what do you mean our food is safe? Like, what do you mean GMOs are all right? What do you mean? Like factory farming isn't really a thing, like all of this stuff. And so the more I connected with experts in agriculture, the more I realized that a lot of people are misinformed. And so I just started the farm babe as a way to better share that story of eggs. And the name Farm Babe was a spinoff of this food blogger I had met named The Food Babe, who was spreading just like a ton of misinformation about our food supply. And so when I had commented on her social media, I was blocked and banned. And so Mm -hmm. after discovering this Facebook group called Banned by The Food Babe, uh, with 10,000 members in it, I decided, okay, uh, The Food Babe is not telling the truth, so I will be The Farm Babe (laughs) as a kind of a spinoff and since then there's been a ton of other spinoffs like food science babe and chemistry babe and science babe and all sorts of people that have uh, tried to correct the misinformation she's put out there wow what a story I just need to ask because I think it's fun what it what took you to Los Angeles and Chicago um at first it was just college I wanted to um, work in the fashion industry and so LA was a great place to do that And then after LA, I actually lived in China for a little bit and I was teaching English. And so when I came back to the States, I ended up settling in Chicago because I knew I still kind of wanted to be in a big city, Mm -hmm. but it was easy for me to do that because it was close to home where I grew up in Wisconsin, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, wow. That's, you've literally lived everywhere now. (laughs) I'm like, I'm kind (laughs) of jealous. And I know we talked earlier, you just bought a timber farm. Tell me about the thing that you've got going on in Florida right now. Yeah, so I live on 17 acres just outside of Gainesville. It's a timber farm, and um, I wanted to run sheep and goats and all that. It's a brand-new startup farm, and I'm hoping to work with some other local farmers or students in the area to kind of help build and develop it because it's pretty overgrown right now, but um, it's got potential to be awesome, and hopefully we can um, educate and work as a team together to manage this. And so that's kind of what I'm doing now is trying to find partners to help me take it to 
the next level. So we'll see what happens. I love that you um, want to find partners to help like reach that potential. I think that's so important for everyone in ag to do. Well, everyone really, but certainly in ag um, is to kind of link arms with each other because we can make a whole lot more change that way. Um, I, I had a question. You, you were speaking about how you got your name and you said that there was, um, the food babe had presented a lot of misinformation to the industry. And Mm -hmm. I think that anyone's listening to this call can instantly relate when you mentioned the words like GMOs, organic, free range, you know, all the things that we are here and certainly our society is made to fear. Um, but Mm -hmm. deeper than that, I think the bigger question is how do you combat this misinformation because I know that personally you know if I'm in the grocery store just having a general conversation with someone in the produce aisle because I'm notorious for that and all my friends hate me for it but um, I just (laughs) love to do that and really try to educate people when I can how do you go about combating that in kind of a gentle educational but still factual way Yes, absolutely. That's a great question. And one I can also relate with. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I travel a lot now as a farm babe. I work as an online influencer, public speaker, columnist, and so I'm always on the road learning from different experts. And what I found with experts in food is that, you know, they're really busy. Farmers are busy. Scientists are busy. They're doing all these great things. But a lot of people are misunderstood with that. So a lot of what I do is is really get get the true you know, get, get the words from the true experts. But a lot of times, like scientists, for example, they're brilliant, they're wonderful, but they're not always good at explaining what they do in, in a way that yeah. the average layperson can understand. Yep. So I'm trying to connect and travel and learn and attend these conferences and learn from them and then taking what they do in a digestible format and amplifying what they do on social media or through writing, speaking, um, online, all that stuff. So, um, you know, we should all definitely be having conversations with people at the grocery store, right? So I always try to talk to the guys that work at the meat counter or the guys stocking the shelves just to see like what kind of questions consumers are having or offer myself as um, a local resource if you guys have any questions or if consumers are like worried, you know, they, they can always reach out. But yeah, it's just really important to advocate um, for however many ways we can, whether that's locally in schools or at your local stores or farmers markets, um, all the way up to conferences and reading and writing and just giving science a bigger voice. So it sounds like you are a professional at becoming uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's pretty true. And I would say it's gotten very comfortable over time. You know, I think a lot of people, when they're first thinking about advocating, mm-hmm. it can be a little nerve wracking. I mean, I know even I was worried, you know, it's like, well, what happens if, you know, you get like haters come on your page or something, but like, oh my gosh, that's such a ridiculously small part of it. Once you build a following, everybody's kind of in your corner and if you have comment section, everybody's kind of like going to bat for you and for science, right? Because your vibe attracts your tribe. So if a majority of my followers understand science or they're interested in science, food and farming, um, you know, they're kind of going to be there. And so if somebody comes along that's maybe misinformed, they'll be the, the first to say, hey, um, you know, maybe what you're saying isn't actually quite true and and here are the facts and here's a link to read for more info. And so it's kind of fun just to watch that community grow. Yeah, I love that it can be channeled into a community, right? Like we don't have to advocate by ourselves. I think that's a a fear that I even myself have fallen into the trap sometimes of like, like we just went to United Fresh Washington Conference and when you think like, oh, I'm meeting with congressmen and senators, like, oh my gosh, this is so scary. But you get in that room and you tell your story and 
over time, like you said, it becomes easier and easier and they want to hear from us. We're directly in the industry, you know, like we are the experts in this. So not being afraid to stand up and say something, um, is probably just the first step of like, Hey, this, this isn't in fact true. Like, and here's why, here's what we do to combat that kind of thing. Um, yes, you are absolutely correct. I did want to talk about Burger King. So in your bio, it says that you um, have influenced corporations such as Burger King. I was lucky enough to hear this story, but I need you to share this story on the podcast because I was so inspired by what happened with Burger King. So will you walk us through that? Yeah, for sure. The Burger King thing was crazy. So um, July of last year, they put out an ad that was horribly offensive to the livestock community basically saying, you know, that life, it was, it was the classical, like livestock are destroying the planet narrative, you know, only they were saying like that, um, you know, if we feed, if we feed lemongrass to cattle, it'll reduce methane emissions was kind of their overall message. But, uh, the study that, that showed that, um, was not yet replicated. Results weren't published, uh, all this stuff. So so right off the bat, the, the science that they were claiming was a little off um, and not yet published. There was one study that was showing promise. But then it's like, okay, you look at lemongrass. Where the heck are you going to source lemongrass? And what is the cost going to be? And then they go on to say, you know, it's, it's a song about cow farts. It's, it's this ad called Cow's Menu. And it was all about cow farts, cow farts. But you know what? 97% of methane from cattle comes from their mouth, not their rear. And so we're seeing you're going like, okay, so you have so many of your facts wrong. Um, but the ad, most importantly, was just so offensive. Like, it was like little kids in gas masks, you know, flames going up and melting the polar ice caps because of cow farts. Mm-hmm. Coming from one of the world's largest burger chains. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. And so they were like, oh, we're going to feed lemongrass to cattle and save the world. And it's like, okay, like how? <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, tell me more. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, they got a ton of backlash. Like people were just like, this is greenwashing. Farmers were offended. The scientists were calling them out because even the scientists involved in the research at UC Davis were like, hold up. Like we actually don't know if this is true yet. Right. So it was mm-hmm. crazy. Um, so I reached out to Burger King and explained why the ad was offensive. And I had been sharing like screenshots of the backlash that they were getting. And my posts were starting to go viral and um, Burger King actually reached out to me and we had a call and I had them come out to my farm in Iowa. I was living in Iowa on the farm at the time. I was on a cattle farm and I was like, come on out and we'll show you about sustainability and reducing methane. Like all of this is a noble cause, but farmers were doing this before it was a catchy commercial, right? Yep. So they, much to my surprise, they took me up on it. So I took them to a dairy farm with a methane digester and took them to my farm and to a large scale, um, a larger scale um, cattle feedlot and had um, Iowa Farm Bureau and Iowa State University and ruminant nutritionists that put together this team of experts to explain um, what we were doing to protect the environment. And so Burger King listened. They did a new ad. They took down the old ad and the new ad was all about highlighting their partnerships with farmers and sustainability. And I was like, Yay! <laughs> it was just amazing. And so it was it was great. Like hats off to them for listening and changing their tune literally. And just realizing the power of something as simple as a tweet can impact a corporation as large as Burger King. Yeah. Right. So Well, kudos to it's you. Pretty cool. Kudos to you. Yeah, thanks. And I love that it just started with you like saying something, right? 
Like how it yeah. doesn't seem like rocket science to just say something. Um, but I think oftentimes yeah. when you're talking about a corporate company the size of Burger King, you're like, oh, my voice isn't going to matter. They're not going to listen to me. You know, who am I? And just this is right. proof in the pudding that you were able to, I mean, I'm going to give you all the credit. You were able to convert Burger King's belief from um, that original ad that they posted to then the one um, really highlighting agriculture and production ag. Um, there are two yeah. things I wanted to pull out of that story, though. And I think it's things that our growers, listeners, um, people that we work with that listen to this podcast could certainly understand. And it's, um, you know, this ad started with this idea of lemongrass. And you brought up the point of how do we source it? How do we pay for it? Who's going to pay for it? What's the longevity of this? Like those types of things. And I think that right. sometimes in the industry we can be defeated um, by others' opinions on how to fix, in quotation marks, how to fix what we're doing wrong um, and become mm -hmm. defensive over that and kind of build this bitterness towards all the people that have that belief, right? What I love about right. your story is that you don't allow that bitterness to form and you really invite people into the conversation. So that was like my second part that I wanted to bring out was just invite them to your farm. Like you're doing these things anyways. Just, just <laughs> say, hey, come out. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think the key here was that I, I Googled, I did a little bit of research to figure out who was their global chief marketing officer. So I wasn't just tweeting at Burger King, which is a team of people that just run uh -huh. on social media, but like who is the boss, right? Yeah. So I think it's important that if we're going to reach out yeah, you can respond and tweet to Burger King, sure. But who's really going to listen are the higher up, so C-level executives. And so when they, when I realized, hey, they listen, this is cool. And so not Fernando was his name, as the, the chief marketing officer who came out. But not only did he come out and listen and change, but I also learned that he had never really spent much time on a farm before. Yeah. Like he's originally from, he's originally from Brazil and had never really you know, took the time to learn about where they source and how and all that. So it's just one of these things like, holy crap, like this is a big deal. Like we have to have a seat at the table. We have to be proactive and building relationships with these corporations so that they think of us first and not about like, Oh, we're just going to change the planet. Um, we're just going to change everything by feeding lemongrass. And yeah, it's like, that's not that feasible. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> there was, um, there wasn't, well, I'm sorry, go no, ahead. No, go ahead. Um, there was an ag economist out of Purdue, I believe, that had actually done the math on lemongrass based on the formulation that they were saying, like feed so much per head per day, blah, blah, blah. And he did the math and realized that it would cost farmers an extra $165 per head to feed that lemongrass. And that didn't include the cost of shipping from Mexico or Southeast Asia or whatever, wherever you were going to source the lemongrass, like where it grows. Because you don't yeah. exactly see fields of lemongrass yeah. in North Dakota. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, who's going to pay for that? Do you, mm -hmm. is, are the farmers going to be paid a premium? Like, mm -hmm. where are you going to source it from? Is that going to offset the so-called reducing methane emissions by up to a third? Like, come on. So it's all these things that it's like, if you dig in on it, it's not as like green and happy and sustainable as they would like people to believe, you know? Yeah. I definitely say all the time, it's not the rainbows and butterflies that are painted in front of us. <laughs> like, yeah, like farming sure. is it's ugly. always a little bit more to it. <laughs> yeah, Farming <laughs> it, can it get sure can. really ugly. <laughs> 
Yeah, it can also be amazing, but there's a lot of challenges. Oh, for sure. Like that, you know, when when you paint this picture of, oh, this will fix everything, you know, it that's not reality. So um, being right, able to bring that sure. down, but, but backing that with facts and figures and understanding, we're not being negative. We're saying this, this is the financial background. This is what it's going to cost us and we can barely make it as it is, you know. So right. um, having that science backing like you do so well is so important. Um, I do have a question mm-hmm. as far as educating goes. And what has been, do you think, has been your best way of educating consumers about their food? Is it talking in the grocery store? Is it social media? Is it videos? You know, like what has been the best source for you to educate consumers on their food? Social media, hands down, one million percent. Wow. How many people do you reach in the grocery store? If you have a conversation <laughs> with the guy stocking the shelves, how many people do you think that's going to reach? Yeah, a few. Zero? <laughs> yeah. Five? Yeah. Zero? Five? Ten? I mean, it's good. It's effective. You can still have breakthroughs with a conversation with anybody on a day-to-day basis. What is your reach on social media? Mm-hmm. But through the power of a click, for free, I reach between two to three million people per month. Yeah. And this is what I'm talking about by advocating, and this is what I speak on publicly for a living, is encouraging people in agriculture to tell their stories and understand the power that their voices and the influence that they can have and realize that if you ain't talking about it, somebody else will, and you're not going to like it. Yeah. So chances are it's not going to, I mean, it's not your story when someone else is telling it. Exactly. And so, you know, it's like, Social media, the beauty of it is there's so many ways you can do it. So for me, I'm more of a writer. I'm a speaker. I'm a writer. I'm a Facebook girl. I'm an information girl. But other people love TikTok or they love YouTube or they like to tweet or they're more of like photography on Instagram. There's no wrong way to do it. There's just a way that's true to you and what you love. Um, But I think my posts that have gone the most viral are ones where I show transparency and the tough topics. So when I was living in Iowa we were growing thousands of acres of GMOs, right? And yeah. so I'm sitting here going, okay, you guys, keep talking about how, you know, we're, we're, we are forced to grow Monsanto GMOs that are just drenched in chemicals. Okay, no. So the posts that go the most viral are the ones I'm talking about, like the benefits of GMOs and how we are, you know, eliminating insecticide sprays mm-hmm. and using safer herbicide. And we're only spraying one day a, de- one day a year, yeah. one or maybe two days a year. At the very beginning of the growing season, at a rate of 22 ounces per acre. So I'm like, you guys, this is literally less than two beer cans on an area of land the size of a football field. Like 99% of what you see coming out of a sprayer is water. And so people are freaking out going, oh my God, look at all these chemicals. And it's like, no, like it's because of GMOs we're using less chemicals. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, people think that organic doesn't use pesticides and that is totally false. Especially (laughs) down here in Florida. Yeah, especially down here in Florida where the pest pressure is so high you have organic farms that oftentimes spray more than conventional because yep. their naturally derived organic approved pesticides aren't as effective. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, you guys, like everybody's like, and I, I love it when people are like, oh, you know, big egg just wants us to believe whatever, you know, it's all about the money, whatever. And I'm like, so do you think that food corporations like Whole Foods don't care about profits? Like, come on, give me a break. Big food wants you to pay three times more for your groceries. They want you to think that organic is pure. They want you to think GMOs are the devil because they're charging you more money. Because the non-GMO project label is a $20 billion (laughs) label. They love for you to think that GMOs are bad and they're in everything. There's only 10 GMO crops out there. 10, that's it. 
That's my biggest um, soapbox. Biggest soapbox. Oh, yeah. GMO and organic Girl, are my two things too. that I could literally <laughs> go insane about. And that's where you get yes. caught up in like being gentle in the approach because sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like factory farming, too. I love debunking myths around that. Being like, actually, your animals are raised just fine. Like, yeah, yeah, I they're promise. They're not raised in these cruel, like, disgusting, filthy conditions that vegan animal rights activists want us to believe. Yeah. You know, yep. it's, it's the same thing. It's 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 coming. It's probably coming from from a good place a yeah. lot of times, right? When people Truly. are against mm-hmm. large scale eggs, but it's like, well, where are you getting that information? Because like yeah. PETA and Mercy for Animals and these like animal rights activist groups, they're not exactly broke. <laughs> so it's Correct. like, okay, like everything is terrible. Go vegan and donate now. And it's like, mm, but have you ever been to a farm? Probably not. <laughs> and donate now. That's good. <laughs> yeah. And donate now. Yeah. yeah. We definitely, um, but, go ahead. But that's just what it is, right? It's about communicating in a polite, kind, effective, empathetic way. It's mm-hmm. like people aren't stupid. It's easy for us to feel that way sometimes, especially when you've been an ag your whole life. Yeah. So you have to put yourself in their shoes and be like, you can help this person. Like most people are not a lost cause. They just need a little bit more polite guidance and empathy. Like I totally understand, you know, we all care about the planet. We all care about animals. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what we're doing on our farm. Oh yeah. And it all comes out of like care, you know, people that are activists, you know, animal rights activists, they, they're, they care, you know, the passion mm-hmm. is there. It's just maybe the lacking the facts and figures to back that. Um, but something that we, and we can kind of wrap up this part of the podcast right here, but something is the power of fear. Um, I think that fear tactics used in our industry affect people so much differently than others because it's literally how you fuel your body. Like your food is how you live. And so when there's fear tactics put in with this GMO thing, you know, yes, there's 10 GMO crops. We, we know that, but everyone doesn't know that. So they think, Oh my gosh, what does that mean? That's three letters. I don't even know what they mean. What's that going to do to my body? What's it going to do to my children? You know, it's, it's all about this fear. And so not only debunking the myth, but debunking the fear behind it, I think is so important. And that all comes from telling the story, right? Opening our mouths and telling the story, which you do so well at. (laughs) So I'm very appreciative. Um, What is next? What's on the horizon for farm babe? Is there any fun stuff coming up? Oh, gosh, there's always stuff going on. (laughs) Um, Well, so it's funny because I was on the farm in Iowa, and when I went through a breakup, I moved to Florida, and now I have a new boyfriend who's a farmer in Iowa. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm like, like, where were you, like, a year or two ago? Like, I just left Iowa. Um, So it's funny. So um, I'm currently going back and forth between Florida and Iowa, between business travel. So I guess what's next for me is just, traveling nonstop and um um, Iowa corn and soybean harvest is in full swing now so Mm -hmm. I'm hoping to go up there here maybe in the next couple weeks and see Josh and help around the farm and maybe you know just document some of that before I do some more speaking I'm speaking in Ohio next and um I'm just gonna keep doing what I do and and bridging that gap and you know raising awareness right raising awareness on where our food comes from and um exposing you know, the, the, the myth busting is really my, my niche, right? So it's myth busting of, you know, who are the people saying negative things and why are they really as well-intentioned as they lead us to believe? And, um, you know, all that good stuff. I'm just, I, I kind of want to keep digging in on that. I think, um, 
a topic that I really want to tackle more is the importance of buying local and buying American produce, because Mm -hmm. especially down here in Florida, I'm learning a lot about how, you know, imports from other countries are really hurting Florida ag and um, raising awareness on how diverse Florida is, I think is really cool down here. And um, yeah, buy local. And that's kind of what I'm going to be doing a little bit more of my writing and focus on. So. Well, if you want anyone to take you around Florida to see some growers, you let me know. <laughs> we could have a great time. <laughs> I would absolutely take you up on that. <laughs> yes, I have been traveling so much, and I was thinking yesterday, you know, we have customers all over the country, so we go to New Mexico, you know, California, wherever, and I thought when I got back this last trip, I'm home for two weeks, which is like a, a Christmas miracle, like I'm never home this long, and I was like, oh my gosh, uh, yeah, I, have I, know so, I have so much time to go see my Florida people now, because I'm home. <laughs> I know, I know for sure, yeah. it's great, right? Yeah, so tag ya. along anytime, you can come tag along anytime, <laughs> we'd love to have you, um, and this is my yeah. last question I ask everyone, and I will tell almost everyone on the podcast, it's totally a selfish question, but I'm just curious, <laughs> um, what is your favorite part of your job? Um, I think just the diversity of it all, yeah. you know, just like w- one week I'll be in a Florida peanut field and the next week I'll be on a cattle ranch in Montana and the next week I'll be on a lettuce farm in California. And so I think it's just, um, it's just the constant change and the constant knowledge that I'm presented with every day. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Michelle, I'm so excited that we got to talk. I know it was so nice meeting you at YFNR convention um and that was such a fun time i i am sad you didn't participate in the belly flop contest but i'll forgive you um maybe next time maybe next time (laughs) or maybe like i just i just needed maybe like six more beers (laughs) (laughs) right there was a lot of liquid encouragement for that evening for sure (laughs) well it was great chatting with you thanks so much michelle we'll be in touch you too thanks so much Thank you for joining us today. This podcast has been a presentation of Has Media, copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Be sure to follow us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Highland Ag Solutions.